while I was training in residency as a family medicine doctor and I was in clinic, routinely the office is filled with, with children who are dealing with all kinds of viral illnesses. And a lot of my colleagues, they would, they would really get upset or stressed out about it. Oh my God, this kid sneezed on me or he got boogers all over me. And, and they would get really anxious and really worried. And, and I totally understand why. For me, I had the exact opposite reaction when that would come in. I'd be like, oh my goodness, thank God this child, because I don't have children of my own. I was like, thank God this child came in and exposed my immune system to all these different bugs that they're dealing with. And I got just the right dose. And that's going to stimulate an adaptive response for me. It's going to keep me young and vital and healthy. And so I had a, a really positive mindset around that. And there's this relatively new school of science called psychoneuroimmunology, right? Thought, nervous system, immune system. And they are elucidating all of these different pathways and legitimizing that there is a mind-body connection, that our mood, our emotions, our thoughts, our belief systems actually have very real effects on the physiological immune system. Collective Insights is a voyage through topics and technologies revolutionizing human well-being. We explore the fields of neuroscience, integrative medicine, anthropology, optimal psychology, systems thinking, and existential risk. Groundbreaking approaches for a better world and a better life await you. Welcome to Collective Insights. This is Dr. Greg Kelly the Director of Product Development and Research at Neurohacker Collective. And today we have the great fortune to have our guest on Collective Insights podcast, Dr. Benjamin Kaplan Singer, who's going to talk to us today about meta-immunity. Dr. Ben, great to have you today. Dr. Greg, thank you for hosting me today. It's wonderful to see you and be here with you. And I'm looking forward to sharing this idea of meta-immunity, which is really a culmination of my 18 years of being in biomedical research and around 10 years of being in medicine as a practitioner, specializing in integrative medicine, uh, taking this concept of immunity, which has obviously become a very hot topic in the past year, and elevating it into this idea of meta-immunity. And so before we begin, I really wanna plant two questions into the mind of the audience that they can contemplate while they listen to today's podcast. And these questions are less about arriving at particular answers and really more about fostering deeper inquiry. And so the first question is, what is the true nature of your meta-immunity? What does that mean for you in your life, your loved ones, your purpose on this planet? And what is the valuable choice or the valuable choices that you will enact today to upgrade and invest in your meta-immunity? So I'll start with just a, like the big picture. So when I think of immunity from a, a health perspective, really the, the key terms that stand out for me are safety and protection. So, you know, you've had a, an extensive background in this. We've talked about immunity. Um, this is a great opportunity for me. Uh, Dr. Ben's an incredibly thoughtful person that I've had the good fortune to both socially and in a work sense be able to run ideas across. So, um, Ben, in terms of like from a medical perspective, you know, can you let our audience know what, what you think of when the term immunity comes up? Yeah, so we'll start with the conventional paradigm. And immunity is really about resistance to disease, resistance to pathogenesis, and in particular focusing on things that cause infection, so microbial 
um, causes of disease, but also on toxins as well. And then we also have the legal understanding of immunity, which is about protection or exemption from something, something that's unwelcome or harmful. And these are really valuable definitions. But what I'd like to point out here is that they're really based on a paradigm of pathogenesis, right? So there's a focus here on disease. And therefore, the implied definition of health is that health is an absence of disease. And that really brings health into a neutral territory. What I'm really passionate about is understanding health as a vital capacity, is something that we can cultivate more of, that it's not just merely about prolonging survival, but it's really about advancing thrival on all levels of our being. And so this moves us from a paradigm of pathogenesis to salutogenesis, that which cultivates well-being. And so in meta-immunity, we're not just looking at how do we resist or prevent disease, but how do we become anti-fragile? How do we actually become better as we face challenges? And not only for ourselves, but for our loved ones, the people that we're cultivating loving relationships with, the people that we serve in our communities, up to and even the level of the planet. How can we be so overflowing in the abundance of our well-being that we can actually be of service to all of planet Earth? Dr. Ben, there was a lot of fantastic things in that brief description. Um, can we just go into a few of the concepts of maybe a little bit more detail? So you mentioned anti-fragility, which I'm a huge fan of that term. Can you just explain a little bit to our audience? Yeah, anti-fragility is a concept that was coined by Nassim Taleb. And in order to understand anti-fragility, we actually start with the idea of fragility. So something that is fragile is that which breaks down or gets worse with chaos. So if we think about a porcelain plate or a, a crystalline vase, right, it can only sustain its form, its shape, within very confined parameters. So if things start shaking or it gets bumped, it breaks into many different pieces. So that's fragile. Then as we move up to the spectrum, we get to resilience. And something that is resilient is something that can withstand stress. So that might be a plastic plate or a rubber plate, right? It can sustain its form. It can sustain itself through a wider variety of conditions. Another example of that could be a reed in the wind. You could contrast that with a tree with really strong branches. A strong wind comes, the tree loses a branch. It appears to be very strong and very firm, but it actually can't withstand as much stress as the reed that will bend with the wind. And then finally, we arrive at anti-fragility. And anti, something that is anti-fragile, it actually gets better with stress and chaos. And so we can look at an example of, of like a comedian, for example. If there's more controversy about them or the more absurd or edgy the thing they say, their fame, their reputation, even the quality of their content tends to improve. They tend to get better with that chaos versus someone who may be a politician or professional, when there's chaos around their reputation, they actually tend to get worse. That, that may be not true in today's context, but I think it illustrates the point of anti-fragile. So another example of that in terms of health is cold thermogenesis, which has really become a fundamental of the biohacker movement. So by withstanding cold, by getting into the cold, which challenges our homeostasis through hormesis, we actually get better at neurosomatically regulating ourselves in a wider variety of conditions and circumstances. So 
as we explore this idea of meta-immunity, which is immunity of the mind, body, heart, and spirit, one thing I'd like to offer is contemplation. What is the equivalent of the cold shower for the mind? What is the equivalent of the infrared sauna for the heart? What are the equivalents of those for the spirit? How can we challenge ourselves in ways that actually make us better so we're more able to stay in our innate state of being? Calm, coherent, clear, open-hearted, joyful, loving, of service. How can we do that even as we're withstanding challenges from our environment, physical challenges from our environment, psychological challenges? emotional, relational challenges or spiritual challenges, how can we embrace those? So rather than just resisting them and becoming resilient, we look at that, we cultivate the mindset and a belief system, techniques and practices. We say, oh, great, this challenge is helping me get better. I'm growing, I'm getting stronger. I'm more able to be who I am in my natural adaptive state of being. I think that's a really beautiful way to be. It helps us live much more in a state of welcoming opportunity, of embracing life as our greatest teacher. And I think that's really important in today's world where we're dealing with existential threat. We're dealing with a lot of conflict, potentially inside ourselves and our families and our communities, in our world. And this can really help us be beings who can come together and potentially solve the challenges that we're facing. Well, I just loved that. Dr. Benton, thank you so much. I mean, I, the idea of anti-fragile really resonates with me and thinking in terms of there may be things we can do to, you know, especially in this meta-immunity concept for our heart, for our beliefs, for how our mind works, for our spirituality, to be the equivalent of things we could do to essentially make our, you know, our muscles stronger, our, you know, our cells better by hermetic types of stresses. So could you go into a little bit of um, some of the areas that you think can make a huge difference for sure. you know, yeah. making us anti-fragile in these other areas? Yeah, there's this idea, it's in medicine, it's probably more in the integrative medicine or performance medicine side of it, called the minimum effective dose. So I learned this concept when I was doing a lot of study into um, physical performance, experimenting with all different kinds of, of weightlifting and body recomposition technologies and approaches. And so there's this one school of strength training called high intensity training, which is different than high intensity interval training. So in high intensity training, you actually do one continuous set. So let's say it's a chest press. So you do one continuous set under very slow, under a very slow time for 90 to 120 seconds until you get to a place that you reach failure, right? And what that does is it gives you maximal time under tension and it's the smallest dose, so it's the safest way for your joints. And what you're doing there is you're giving your body just enough stimulus, just enough challenge that it responds by saying, wow, that was really hard. We almost died there. This, this weight actually almost crushed us. And so that helps activate all these hormonal pathways and upregulation of hormones so that we build more muscle and that we also build more neuromuscular end plates so that our nervous system is more efficient at sending electricity to our muscles. So what would be the minimum effective dose of, of aversive emotions, of aversive thoughts, of aversive media, 
So it's not necessarily about avoiding things that are harmful, but it's, but it's about discerning and fine tuning into what is the right dose. So for example, if I'm on social media, I'm aware of the dangers of being in an echo chamber of only listening to things that reify my belief system, that reify my identity. And I know that can lead to calcification of the mind, calcification of the heart. And so I purposefully want to follow feeds of people who challenge me, who think differently. But I don't want to saturate myself with that. I just want to get enough of a dose to be like, oh, what am I feeling when I, when I read that, when I take that in? Oh, I'm feeling some tension or I'm feeling some repulsion or I'm feeling some rage or disgust or anger. And then I pause rather than going down the downward spiral and clicking more of that and continuing to feed that aversive loop. I actually take pause and I use that as an opportunity to do a micro meditation. So I find my breath. I find where the tension is in my body. I send that breath there. Perhaps there's more energy that needs to move. So I get up, I vibrate. Maybe I put on a song and dance. Maybe it's really triggering me. So I go outside, I put my feet on the ground, I look at the sun, I breathe in the fresh air. What I'm doing there is I'm bringing myself back to my natural state, my naturally neurosomatically regulated state of being. And so in that way, we can titrate aversive stimuli and we can use it to bring up things that are latent in our psyche or latent in our body. And then we can metabolize that right? Because whatever it's bringing up, it's just potential energy. And if we discharge that, and that, if we just discharge that energy, maybe we deplete ourselves. But if we recirculate that energy, if we bring it back into ourselves, if we remind ourselves, what's actually true in terms of my desire of how to live? My, what's true for me about my desire and how to live is I want to be able to relate with all people, whether or not I agree with them, because they're on this planet, they're alive. And I want to respect and honor their life because we all share the same mother. We all share this plan as the same mother. So I want to be able to be in dialogue with them, to be in relating with them. I don't know what appropriate relating looks like, but I know that I'll be more capable of appropriate relating if I'm neurosomatically regulated myself. Could also look at it in terms of toxic relationships, right? Relationships that drain us of personal power that distract our time, energy, and attention from the things that we actually want to cultivate with our lives. So if we're noticing that we're in toxic relating, and let's call it toxic relating, so it's more of a process and not a noun that we're projecting onto another person. If we notice that we're in some kind of toxic relating, we can take a pause. We can examine that really closely. What's this bringing up for me? What is potentially unresolved in myself? And, and there's, different, there's different insights that will come from that. And sometimes the insight is, wow, this is actually not something to allow in my sacred space. Or other times what it's bringing up is, oh, I've done the same thing that this other person is doing. And I don't like that I've done that. Oh, this is an opportunity to forgive myself, to return to the path of love, self-love for myself, to reintegrate that fragment of myself, that aspect of myself. Some really amazing, truly amazing things happen when we do that. By doing that, we often see changes in our external environment in our relating with other people. I think I'm a huge fan of the idea of relationship and to everything. So I know I'm a fan, obviously, of doing things that would be in the you know healthy behavior, you know, supportive beliefs category. But I also think it's always very important 
not just to focus on the thing we're doing, but our relationship to that thing. Uh, because what I've seen working with people in my life is quite often um, a relationship can be somewhat unwholesome to what would otherwise maybe be a good practice. And when that occurs, sometimes the benefits that person would be getting from this are, are less than you'd expect for the time they were committing to it. And then I also just want to make sure that to highlight that minimum effective dose that you mentioned. One of the things that I recall from Taleb's book, Anti-Fragile, was the concept that an anti-fragile system is one that can get better, like you pointed out, when it's challenged up to a certain point. And so yeah. I think that's just a key thing to understand for our audience that we've, our immune system is potentially anti-fragile, our mu musculoskeletal skeletal system. And all of these things are capable of getting better when challenged, but there is a threshold there. And so Dr. Ben's point of trying to find this minimal effective dose, I think is super important. So uh, yeah. I wanted to turn it back over to you. I just wanted to highlight those points that stood yeah, out Yeah, I can me. even, yeah, thank you. And I can even um, share a way that I applied that directly in my life. Oh, I and love that. It's probably going to come across as somewhat controversial in today's climate. And, and by no means am I advocating this approach for anyone else. I'm speaking purely from my subjective individual experience. So while I was training in residency as a family medicine doctor, and I was in clinic, routinely the office is filled with, with children who are dealing with all kinds of viral illnesses. And a lot of my colleagues, they would, they would really get upset or stressed out about it. Oh my God, this kid sneezed on me, or he got boogers all over me. And, and they would get really anxious and really worried. And, and I totally understand why. For me, I had the exact opposite reaction when that would come in. I'd be like, oh my goodness, thank God this child, because I don't have children of my own. I was like, thank God this child came in and exposed my immune system to all these different bugs that they're dealing with. And I got just the right dose. And that's going to stimulate an adaptive response for me. It's going to keep me young and vital and healthy. And so I had a, a really positive mindset around that. And there's this relatively new school of science called psychoneuroimmunology, right? Thought, nervous system, immune system. And they are elucidating all of these different pathways and legitimizing that there is a mind-body connection, that our mood, our emotions, our thoughts, our belief systems actually have very real effects on the physiological immune system. So in terms of how I would handle that, if I knew that I was in a really vital state, no big deal. I might go to the gym afterwards and get in the sauna and kind of stimulate a fever response for myself. Or I'd jump up and down so I could get my lymph system circulating. Or if I was under a little bit more stress, I'd make sure to get extra sleep that night. Or I might grate up a clove of garlic and let it sit out so it converts to allicin. And I might take that as a dose for some antimicrobial properties. And so I was always tuning into where, where is my baseline state of well-being? And was the dose of exposure I got the right dose or too much? And if it's too much of a dose, then we go into our, our health practices. And I would examine where have I been kind of weak recently? Was I compromising on sleep? Was I compromising on nutrition? Was I compromising on exercise? And wherever the place was that I had been compromising on, that's the place I'm now going to turn to to tonify my system. I think it's really important to understand the immune system is, is not separate from any other system in the body. 
it's completely interdependent. Wow. Um, I also wanted to backtrack on one thing because I know it resonated with me and I'm guessing that it will with our audience, but it was when you were describing um, being in residency and being exposed to a young child with, you know, that sneezed and, you know, may have some germs in there. And your, your story, your belief was, wow, this is great. I wouldn't have otherwise been exposed. This is the just right dose. And, you know, immune system do your job. So I just want to make sure, like, I'm a huge fan of the importance of beliefs and the stories we tell ourselves in terms of those influencing the responses we get as we move through this, you know, um, shared world and life. So I would just love you to talk a bit more of this idea of beliefs and their, the huge role they play in metaimmunity. So I think we can look at beliefs as programs that we've loaded or algorithms that we've loaded of how to interpret information that's coming in. And so if I have a belief that predisposes me to thinking and feeling that the information that's coming in is really dangerous or threatening, I'm more likely to send my body into a sympathetic nervous system response, into a fight or flight or freeze response, into a response that releases more stress hormones like cortisol, which can actually reduce immune system function, can put me into more of a stressed out state. And that stressed out state, especially if it becomes chronic, is gonna decrease my capacity to have vital health, to have vital meta-immunity. If instead, if I examine that belief and I say, well, what is the outcome of this belief? Experientially. <clears throat> and I can play with, right? I can play with as an experiment so that there's some lightheartedness here. Well, how would this information that's coming in look or feel? And I, I mean literally feel in my body if I upload this different belief program. Well, instead, the, the same information, right? The same raw data that's coming in now may be processed in my body and mind in a way that creates more relaxation, creates more ease, creates more peacefulness. And then I can feel that shift in my body. Now I'm in more of a parasympathetic nervous system state, which by the way is vital for the health of our digestive system, right? When we're in sympathetic nervous system response, we decrease blood flow, decrease the flow of life force to our digestive system. When we're in more of a parasympathetic nervous system response, we get more blood flow. Well, if we're talking about the gut as harboring all of these immune cells, right? And those immune cells are created in other tissues in our body. And so we want more yeah. of those immune cells to be able to migrate to our gut so it can provide us with that vital immune system function there. We can begin to appreciate how being in more of that relaxed parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system response is actually much more healthful. So the offering here is not that anyone needs to change their beliefs. It's to simply examine what do I experience in my body? What do I experience in my mind? What do I experience in my heart when I have a particular belief? And then to reference that with your, with your personal values, with your personal goals, with what you actually intentionally want to cultivate with your life. And then begin to, to, to see for yourself where does that support that? And where does that take away from that? Beliefs are ultimately things that are unprovable. 
And there's this interesting tendency that the more unprovable something is, the more powerful it can become. Truth to the extent that it exists, and that's a subject of great philosophical debate, are things that are provable. So we can look at the difference. If something's not provable, then it's malleable. Then it's up for conscious change, conscious recreation. And so the offering here is to begin to look at all of our beliefs about our physical bodies, about our minds, about our emotions, about our spiritual connections, about our relations with other people. And the encouragement here is to choose beliefs that build personal power, that allow for impeccable actions, and that to cultivate more sovereignty, more self-authority, more self-governance. Because we can choose the stories that we tell about ourselves, and the stories that we tell about ourselves help create our reality. Um, yeah. So I love that idea of the stories we tell ourselves and how important they, you know, they are for things. Could you maybe go into a little more detail about some stories that you've heard, either friends, colleagues, or people that you've worked with, some of the stories they've told themselves in a meta-immunity sense that you feel like, hey, maybe this isn't serving them and this could be a better story? So I have a kind of humorous story about that from when I was in family medicine clinic during my residency. And this woman came in presenting with classic symptoms of depression. And she was asking to be placed on an antidepressant. And as we delved more into her story, what she shared with me was the thing that was really triggering these low states of being, these aversive emotions, dark thoughts, downward spirals, was listening to the news. This was around an election time. <clears throat> an election that felt very high stakes to a lot of people. And so I asked her, what would it be like to filter out the news, to filter out this thing that, that you're identifying as harmful? She said, well, I can't do that. It's really important that I stay informed. So I said, well, how important is it? Like, to what degree of staying informed is important? And we were kind of going back and forth and had this insight to flip the script on her. I said, okay, so you're saying it's important to stay informed. So let's have you be really informed. Let's have you set your alarm clock in the morning to the news. So the first thing that happens when you wake up is that you're getting tuned into world events and political events. And as you're brushing your teeth and as you're showering and you're getting ready for work, you're consuming more and more of this news. And as you're driving to work, you're listening to this news. And when you have a break from work, you're listening to the news. And when you're eating your lunch, you're listening to the news and you're listening it into the way home from work and you're listening to it with your dinner and you're listening to it as you get ready for bed up until the moment you go to bed. She goes, that sounds horrible. <laughs> I said, well, that's interesting, isn't it? I said, what would it be like to fast from the news? I said, look, I've tried doing this before, fasting from the news. And what I learned is if I really need to be informed of something, it's going to come up in conversation in my life. I don't end up missing major events by doing it. And so we changed her belief system. Well, she changed her belief system about how important it was for her to be informed. And as she did that, she came back to clinic and she said, my mood's completely better. And she never went on the antidepressant. It was simply changing a belief and it changed her reality. This comes up a, a lot of my work because a, a big focus of my work is doing ketamine integrative treatment for people which is a, a form of legal psychedelic medicine. Ketamine is really interesting because it definitely has profound effects on the body, 
for alleviating things like depression and anxiety, in part through upregulation of what's called brain-derived neurotropic factor, which enhances neuroplasticity, right? The ability of the nervous system to create new pathways. And, and beliefs really on a reductionist level are some kind of neurological pathway. At the same time, it also allows us to explore more deeply what's in our psyche and what maybe is in our subconscious and help make it conscious so we can have more awareness around the, the belief programs that we're running. So I routinely have people who come in and they have pretty negative stories about themselves, guilt or shame or self-blame or self-judgment. And then we offer them this ketamine integrative treatment and they have these profound realizations of their transcendent self, of their spiritual self. They say, wow, this story that I was telling myself that felt so big, that felt so all-consuming is really just this tiny, tiny little drop in this magnificent boundless ocean, right? They get to tap into this spiritual view of life, this boundless oceanic view of life. They say, oh, I could just tune into a different drop. I could just turn into a different belief. So I recently had a patient who is struggling with some substance abuse and had what would classically be called a relapse. He got really down on himself that he was a failure in some way. And I said, well, you're not a failure. There was actually no harm that was done to yourself or anyone else here. All you did was create the perfect learning opportunity for yourself of having contrast between what the different choices feel like and manifest in your reality. So as soon as he changed his view and he looked at, oh, well, all I did was create a learning opportunity for myself. He actually became better with chaos. He became anti-fragile. And now he's making new, healthier choices for himself. And it's not from any external story about how he should live. It comes from an internal sense of how do I actually want to live? How do I want to be? And how do I make choices that facilitate that? I think that's a hugely important thing to point out or to reaffirm for our audience. It's much easier when we're in alignment with our internal um, uh, goals and beliefs, et cetera, versus yeah. trying to do what someone's um, imposing on us externally and telling us is the right thing. Um, yeah. Because sometimes that might, you know, what might be right for them might not be as true for us. Yeah, I think this helps us get to something that's essential about this idea of meta-immunity. And I've offered a few different ways of looking at it, right? Immunity of mind, body, heart, spirit. And there's also this kind of all-encompassing definition that I've been contemplating, that meta-immunity is our capacity to remain in, return to, and strengthen our natural state of being our unique individual essence in the face of any and all internal and external conditions, circumstances, and challenges. So this implies a few things that we can begin to bring more inquiry towards, right? We have to know what is it, what is my natural state of being? What is my unique individual essence? And some people may have a very clear sense of that. And some people may listen to that and say, I have no idea what that even means. Well, one of the ways that we can get closer to that is by removing external stimuli. You can go on a meditation retreat or you can spend a couple hours just in silence and stillness, turning off the phone and being in nature and feeling yourself breathe. Or perhaps you can go work with a practitioner to, do, to have some kind of legal psychedelic medicine experience so you can expand your vision of who and what you are, why you're here and where you're going. 
It also requires us to be fully aware, fully engaged with all of our senses. Again, we, we, we come from this materialist paradigm where we talk about five senses, sight, hearing, taste, touch, and smell. But what if intuition is a sense? What if interoception, the ability to feel sensations inside us, is a sense? What about proprioception, which conventionally refers to where am I in physical space? But what if we expand the idea of proprioception to include where am I in emotional space? Where am I in psychological space? Where am I in relational and social space? To have more awareness of those things, to engage really fully in that. This also requires us to have skillfulness and mastery in spiritual, psychological, emotional, relational, and somatic technologies, techniques, and practices. So we have lots of choices in what we can apply to help bring ourselves back to a regulated state of being, to our natural state of being. And when we embrace all of this, what it allows us, it is allows us to be more whole, allows us to be more embodied, more compassionate, more generous, more service oriented, and more sovereign. And those are values that I care about. And I believe those are values that, that our audience cares a lot about as well. No, absolutely. Now, one, one of the things, and this is going to backtrack a little bit, and I don't want to get you off topic, but I thought it was interesting to me and might be worth just reiterating for our audience. So um, within engineering, there's the idea of signal and noise, which I, I believe yeah. is a, a big part of how the receptors on our cells, our immune cells work. Um, you know, we've talked a, a little bit about, you know, how the immune system spends a lot of its time in, um, intentionally choosing what to ignore. And when I think of the external world, especially given your story with that person that wanted to be informed about the news, I tend to think of signal and noise as information and opinion. And I'm all about wanting more information, but doing fasting might be too strong a word, trying to minimize my exposure to the opinions. Yeah. And yeah. I, 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 when I listened to you telling that story, I was just thinking, you know, my guess is at least if she was watching the kind of news and broadcasting that, that I've seen, a lot of that is just reiterating opinion on an endless yeah. loop with very little information. And so I, I don't know if that would match your experience or what you um, have seen in these areas of meta immunity, but I know my goal in anything I want to get better on is find sources of, of higher level information and minimize the opinions. Yeah, I think that that gets kind of deep into epistemology about how can I know what is true and what is not true. And it's a subject of great uh, philosophical debate that's somewhat at the frontiers of my own expertise. Um, something that came up when you're sharing that is that if fasting is not the right intervention, certainly there's value in intermittent fasting, <laughs> right? Limiting yeah, my absolutely. exposure window. So if I look at morning time as a really important time, right, of, a, of tuning into my natural state of being before a lot of external stimuli is coming in, that's a great time to intermittent fast from, from media or from sources of opinion. So I can just feel myself, feel where I'm at, see what's going on for me first before interacting with the external world. Before I go to bed, it's a really important time too, right? In the morning and, and before we go to bed is when I think our, our psyche is most permeable. So really protecting that time that we have very intentional inputs 
during that time. And then perhaps you just choose like a window of, of 30 minutes. And for 30 minutes, I'm going to really allow myself to go into the world of opinion and to stay aware as you do that. What kind of thoughts does this bring up? What kind of feelings does this bring up? Who would I need to be to believe this opinion? Is that the kind of person that I am? Does this create the kind of uh, emotional states and belief systems that I actually want to have so I can be who I want to be in the world? I've been experimenting with a different view of virus, and I've been looking at it through the lens of ecology. If we look at humanity as a population of apex predators, of something that's quote-unquote on the top of the food chain, the environment wants to regulate and keep populations in balance. So if the population of humans begins, for example, over-consuming resources, right, and depleting the environment, the environment is going to respond in some way to help re-regulate that population. And one of the ways that apex predator populations are re-regulated is either the food supply goes down, which we've mostly been able to avoid. There's disparities in food distribution that's an issue. Or we begin to see upregulation of different kinds of pathogens to bring the population back into balance. So through this ecological lens, I've been looking at a virus as a rapidly spreading vector of genetic information to support the evolution of a population. And by no means am I suggesting that people dying from a virus is what's necessarily needed for that population to re-regulate, but there's some kind of information that's coming into that population and how we choose to respond to that changes the way that we interact with our environment. My point in offering this is that I begin to look at a virus as simply information information that's helping me evolve and, and information that's helping the collective evolve. So one of the things that's come to the surface with, with recent virus, viruses is where our systems are fragile. And a really healthy response is for us to get creative about how we can make our systems, our economic systems, our medical systems, more anti-fragile in the context of that information. So that's just simply changing the belief about the virus. I'm by no means advocating denial of the virus. I'm just offering, what if I looked at the virus as something that had helpful information? How might I respond to it instead? Would I feel as much fear? Would I feel more grounded, more peaceful? Or would I feel a mixture of those things? So there's an interesting corollary here between the quote-unquote physical viruses that we deal with and also viral information. And so when we look at meta-immunity, we're, we're, we're not just looking at what do I bring into my system, but also what do I replicate and put out into the world. And so being very careful and very considerate about what we choose to share, what we choose to spread, why we're choosing it, how it's going to affect other people, to be very mindful of that. You know, we have antiviral software for our computers, and I'd like to propose that there's some kind of equivalent of our own antiviral software for our own minds, for our own hearts. What does that look like for each person? I think that's beautiful. I know my, and I'm far from perfect in that, but um, my goal when I interact or relate with other people is to find areas where they'll be comfortable, where they'll you know, like find a, something that I feel like we would be able to bond to in common without yeah. re 
in that, I guess, thinking of the fast responding immune system, having a knee jerk reaction or causing a knee jerk reaction that may hinder my ability to have the kind of relationship with this person that I would otherwise want. Yeah. So when we talk about the fast acting innate immune system, it's basically putting up a barrier like this is not going to come in um, or to phagocytize it, right, to eat it up and destroy it. And we can see that when we get like an aversive email and we respond, we're like, oh, goodness, um, after we get neurosomatically regulated, that maybe was not the most wise choice, right? The adaptive immune system, it's slower, but it becomes more specific and more finely attuned. So how can we cultivate an anti-fragile, psychological and emotional and relational adaptive immune system? I think that's super important. And I think, you know, we've probably most of the audience has heard things like before you send, you know, a potentially reactive email, give it a day or two, right? That would almost fit into that idea of that we have this, you know, faster innate immune system and slower, more um, thoughtful adaptive immune system. And, and it may be that that almost embracing this idea that we do have, you know, in a meta immune sense, a faster and a slower capability to respond to things and being attuned with that could be useful. Right, right. So if one cares about supporting the benevolent evolution of the collective, their capacity to do that is proportional to their capacity to healthily relate to the collective. So if I can only put up barriers and push things away, that may be the right move at certain times, right? That's why we have that as an immune system function. There's also value in cultivating that tolerance so that we can interact in a way. I love building bridges. I like to challenge myself to build bridges. When I was an undergraduate, a lot of my work was in community organizing in different populations that were having challenges relating to each other where there was violence, for example. And one of the things that I loved was about finding where we could have a common value that even if we expressed it differently, if we had different symbol sets for how to translate that, that there was some kind of core essence that we cared about. We cared about the thriving and well-being of ourselves and our family and our loved ones. And so how could, how could we find a way to translate that and speak to that, focusing on the shared value rather than the differences in how we express it? And then to lead with more inquiry, to ask questions that led to deeper contemplation that weren't about finding fast answers, which is that kind of reflex response, but actually sitting with that and allowing one question to lead to another question. And that opens up a lot more space for us to connect. And when we connect with each other, we can actually feel our heart, which has an electromagnetic field. And electromagnetic fields contain information. That's what the Wi-Fi signal is that we're sitting in right now. It's an electromagnetic field. Well, there's an electromagnetic field coming from our hearts that contains information. And it's actually been measured as the strongest field in the human body. So we have words which are a useful way of communicating, but they're, they're actually contain much less information than what exists in that electromagnetic field. So once we get into that neurosomatically regulated state, into that open-hearted state with another person, 
our hearts are actually in direct informational communication with one another through that shared electromagnetic field. Profound shifts can happen there. And so what I'm offering is that we just stay open to the miracle and to the mystery of what's possible when we relate in that way. And would you think that that, that same, you know, almost um, being attuned, open, aware, translates into, like, even when we eat food, since that's going to be a challenge to our immune system, or that the, there's a lot more that we that our body relates to than just us relating to other people. So would it be maybe fair to think that some of these same principles could apply? Sure. Let's take a belief about food. So I have a background in food systems. I've helped start community farms. Um, I've helped start and tend different permaculture projects. Uh, I've raised animals for eggs. I've raised medicinal herbs, perennial foods, etc. So I have a, a great passion for soil health and the value in having community-centered agriculture. And one of the things that I love about having local produce, for example, is that it usually has some amount of soil on it. And that soil actually includes a lot of microbes. And so there's this interesting corollary, by the way, because many of us are aware of the importance of the microbiome in the gut. And one of the sources of the microbiome in the gut is the microbiome of the soil. And there's a lot of things that have happened with industrial agriculture that have reduced the health and the diversity and abundance of the microbiome of the soil. And so some people have the belief, oh, I don't want any dirt on my food. And I get it because it doesn't feel good in your teeth. I have a different belief. I want a little bit of dirt in my food because <laughs> I know that that contains really important microbes. And so when I'm eating it and I get a little crunchy part of the dirt, I'm like, oh, great. Natural probiotic. Oh, that's strengthening my, my immune system here. <laughs> oh, that's really good for me. So, so I have that belief. You know, for the most part, I eat a really healthy diet, really locally sourced, very conscientious diet. And I love giving myself the minimum effective dose of some things that are maybe not quite so healthy. And when I'm consuming those, I'm going to consume those very consciously. And that means with a lot of enjoyment and a lot of celebration and being very mindful, feeling all of my senses while I consume that thing. So I've heard some other people when they're, they're going to go out and eat like French fries or a milkshake and they're like, oh, this is so bad for me, but I love it. And I'm thinking, why, why would you prime yourself with that belief? <laughs> like you're going to put it in your body choose the belief. This is an offering to choose the belief of, oh, I'm bringing in this information. It has value to me. I'm getting the right dose of it. I'm not going to go overdose on it. And I'm really appreciating how it helps me celebrate in this moment, how it helps me connect with other people or, or connect with planet earth or whatever it is for you. Right. So to really prime whatever we're putting into our bodies with beliefs that are supportive to pseudogenesis. Well, it's, it's, I think such a great message. So like, I guess the way I would state that or personally would understand it or coach someone is, you know, you made the choice to say, eat these French fries. So they're going to have whatever fact French fries are going to have. But now that you've also chosen to eat that negative belief with the French fries, you're yeah. getting kind of a double whammy. So exactly. if you're going to exactly. eat them, let's create a better story around it. it not right. to say go overboard and eat French fries with every meal, but don't consume, you know, this you know, maybe not as supportive food with a not supportive story at the same time. Yeah, yeah. And, and I would offer that there's a corollary there 
with the kind of media that we're bringing in. So if we know that we're going into more opinion-based information or, or information that has more of, a, of an energy of narrative warfare, mimetic warfare, being very conscientious about that, and knowing that we're turning towards that with the contemplation of who would I need to be to believe this? What am I, what am I deeply feeling? What am I perceiving as real in the world? What am I perceiving as being threatened in myself? What am I perceiving as being valuable? And how can I step into that other being and have real compassion for what their reality is? And then ascertain where do we actually have shared values? We're challenging ourselves to do that. That's another way that we can get anti-fragile by bringing in that chaos and actually getting, cultivating more skillfulness and being able to consciously relate with ourselves and others. So, uh, Ben, I wanted to, as we start to get towards the end of our time together, you had started with two questions for our listeners. And, you know, they're not questions that really were designed to come up with answers, but to give thought as, you know, we've had this discussion. Um, with that in mind, thinking in terms of some of these areas of meta-immunity, so, you know, our physical or medically um, classified immune system, but our, you know, our, our psychology, our spirituality. Are there a few biohacks that you really want to emphasize that you found useful personally or working with people to, you know, essentially support these more anti-fragile areas of our meta immunity? Yeah. So on the, on the physical level, I love grounding in with nature first thing in the morning. I love having a period of contemplation first thing in the morning. I love breathing deeply into my body first thing in the morning so I can just remember what my natural state of being actually feels like so I can calibrate to that. I love taking cold showers. I love exp exposing myself to heat stress as well. I love doing intermittent fasting, all of those basic good biohacking practices for cultivating active metabolism. In terms of psychological meta-immunity, things like journaling can be very helpful just to get clear on what am I actually cycling in my thoughts and how do those thoughts connect. I can also in the evening, especially if I've gotten into any kind of a downward spiral, is go backwards through my day or days and find where was the place that I created a leak in my integrity, where I made a decision that wasn't in alignment for myself, or perhaps I let in too much of something that was aversive and then beginning to see the chain of cause, cause and effect that led to me perhaps going into a downward spiral. So that can be a really effective way of tracking ourselves very closely. I also love to do relationally, I love to do aspecting. So if I have some kind of conflict with someone, I want to move through as much of those emotions on my own so that when I connect with that person to bring something to completion or resolution, I've already done as much as I can to resolve that and complete that in myself. So I can be really present and speak from I statements and build my side of the bridge, which is as much as I can do to relate with someone in a healthy way. And so I'll sit down and I'll speak what I'm feeling and thinking fully to move that energy. And then I'll move into a seat facing myself where I was sitting before. And now I'll respond from how that other person is thinking and feeling in response to me. And I'll go back and forth and back and forth to feel all the emotions and to get into the thoughts and to express them so I can move that energy. So that's another really helpful way to relate. And I also want to 
just point out one thing that I think is important, but um, you've mentioned it a few times in passing, but you're very protective of the beginning and the end of your days. And, yeah. and I, my guess would be if you could give one message to our audience, that would be a part of it. You know, one way of understanding the path of healing is that healing is about returning to the path of love. And my observation and experience of life is that my capacity to give love is really directly related to my capacity to love who I am, to fully accept myself with a lot of compassion. And so having that time in the morning and having that time in the evening, it's about really honoring the value of your life, the miracle that it is for you to be alive, to celebrate your unique essence, and to know deeply in every cell of your being that you are truly a gift, that you are a gift to this world. Well, Dr. Ben, I want to thank you so much for sharing all you've you know, thought, experienced, and done with this concept of meta-immunity. If our audience wants to follow you, um, you know, learn more of your work, is there a good place that you can recommend they go? Yeah. They can go to my website at d-o-c-t-o-r-b-e-n dot c-o. Or they can find me. I, I've been encouraged to get on Twitter with some reluctance and some excitement. And I'm on Twitter at the Sovereign MD. Wow, great handle. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I hope our audience has enjoyed this as much as I have. It's been just an absolute pleasure to have you as a guest today on Collective Insights. Thank you, Dr. Thank Beck. you, Dr. Greg. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only. The podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should not use the information on the podcast for diagnosing or treating a health problem or disease, or prescribing any medication or other treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider before taking any medication or nutritional, herbal, or homeopathic supplement, and with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this or any other podcast. Reliance on the podcast is solely at your own risk. Information provided on the podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship between you and any of the health professionals affiliated with our podcast. Information and statements regarding dietary supplements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to therein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician. This podcast is owned by Neurohacker Collective. <laughs>